Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This episode brought to you in part by Thrive Fantasy. Available in the App Store, Play Store, or by visiting their website, thrivefantasy.com. Use the promo code FINADICS when you sign up today and you will receive an instant $20 bonus on your first deposit of $20 or more. Sign up and hashtag prop up today. Additional support comes from our friends at Manscaped, the winning name in men's below-the-belt trimming, offering engineered tools for your family jewels. In a world that's perfect lies a perfect little town where one team stands alone. But now, something's stirring that will change this place forever. Perfect. Welcome to Perfectville, your first place podcast for your second place, Miami Dolphins. I am Sam Marcou, and he, well, he's the two-time, yes, two-time Hall of Famer. And of course, I'm talking about the good doctor himself, Mr. Christopher Colin. Christopher, how in the hell are you, my friend? I'll never get over you calling me the, the uh, Christopher because it sounds like my dad or mom's yelling at me because I go by Chris, but I guess I go by Christopher and Perfect Bill too. So that is my name badge. It says it, two-time Hall of Famer, Dr. Christopher Cohen. So I'll, I'll take it. I'll just to let everybody know, it's weird if I call him Christopher, but he just admitted that he goes by Chris Butt. So Chris Butt, there you go. Uh, go back, go ahead. You can re- replay the podcast if you're wondering why I said that because Chris said I go by Chris Butt. Like he was going to transition into a new phrase, but Chris Butt. All right, Chris Butt. Uh, oh, we have let been this become a thing. <laughs> We've been gone too long. Raceling's going to just totally create a Photoshop of me and the name badge of Chris. Yeah, I just gave it to him. All right. Speaking of being gone too long, I'm going to call this man out right now because uh, apparently we've been gone for years, Chris. Right before we started recording here, I happened to just mosey onto Twitter, which is never a good idea. And uh, I see a tweet. I see the Perfect Bill Pod at Perfect Bill Pod just being called out, put on blast by a guy named Billy. Uh, his full handle is Billy5519900, which might be his phone number. I don't know. But uh, he Let's says, at, <laughs> somebody call it, 551-99400. Y'all suck at podcasts. The podcasts are great, but I haven't seen a new episode in years. <laughs> Where are y'all at, damn it? So as I explained to Billy on Twitter, I'm reading this shit on the air currently as you are texting us about how we aren't doing any more podcasts. We missed one week, Chris. I mean, look, we are you. The, the, the citizens of Perfectville should know that we're going to miss a week or two. We've missed months at a time. Granted, we haven't done that in a while. I don't want our sponsors or anybody else to get mad at us for me saying that. But we've been pretty damn consistent, and we gave you two episodes the week of Thanksgiving. We gave you the normal regular season episode plus the fifth annual Hatesgiving Day Parade. Uh, so we're doing just fine, Chris. I don't know why are people mad. Uh, we got we we got we we uh, we spoiled them. We spoiled them rotten, Sam. We've been uh, consistently doing episodes and being professional and now all of a sudden we're being held to this ridiculous standard guys you remember who we are here i mean wrestling has made a living uh shit talking that we haven't had a show sometimes in like you said three to four weeks i think there's a time we went like like in the off season where we had signed 15 free agents and had a whole different front office and we hadn't done an episode so like i i mean we missed seven days guys and it's the holidays uh but yeah sure billy um if you're over 12 by the way and you're still going my billy 
fuck you. But yeah. uh, it, all in all, seriously, now we just created, you know, you talk shit and they, they do good. Um, that's going to be the whole new thing. Now a fan is going to talk shit on Twitter and we're going to hop on and do a show immediately. It's like, obviously that's going to be the call. Ears are going to ring. We're like, oh, oh no, somebody's talking shit on Twitter. Get the mic set up. That's right. You can't go by Billy. Take it from a guy who goes by Chris Butt. Okay. Um, speaking of Twitter, Chris, I actually put out last week, I don't know if you saw this or not, but I put out a poll that just said, hey, we missed a week. Whose fault is it? Is it Chris's fault or is it Sam's fault? I don't know if you saw that or not. Um, true to oh, form, I voted. I voted. Oh, you voted? So did I. And true to form, I was just going to let the let the citizens choose, right? Whoever won the poll, it was going to be their, their fault. It was going to be your fault or my fault. Wouldn't you know it, Chris? I checked the poll results. Dead fucking tie. We had the same amount of votes for you as we did for me. So nothing's been settled. Apparently, it's just both of our faults that we missed last week. Well, at least it wasn't uh, Sam Sucks Dick <laughs> or whatever the fuck Sam was, like for the name of the mascot when they wrote it in. That was great. That was like Dick Butt. Oh, that um, was the, uh, yeah, Dick Butt was actually one of the uh, the finalists next to a Ronde Baxton. Um, and then, yeah, one of them, somebody just wrote in, fuck you, Sam, like over and over and over again. That, that was like the second place. <laughs> I was like, what are we going to name our mascot? Fuck you, Sam. Okay, well, that seems like it's bad. At That's to be tough to merchandise. Yeah. <laughs> Get your own sip sack, fuck you, Sam. Huh? Uh, it's funny to look like <laughs> uh, it's just going to be a big baggie over a middle finger like you're seeing right now. Um, <laughs> speaking of that, Travis Wingfield, who was actually a part of naming that, which I forgot, he reminded me the other day. He's like, you know, I named a Ronde Baxton. I'm like, I th- actually think he did. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, he put a tease. He doesn't do like really. <laughs> we have this one, Travis. <laughs> no, he, he doesn't return my phone calls anymore. I know that. Um, I'm kidding. He actually does. Travis is listening to this right now. Like bullshit. Um, but, uh, I was talking to him the other day or no, I was, I was, I was looking at his tweet the other day and he put a tease on there. Right. And he was like, Oh, I found this interesting stat about defense, but I'm not going to tell you about it now. You're going to have to listen to the show. And I got mad. I was like, you motherfucker. And then everyone's like, yeah, leave it to Perfectville to get mad at somebody else for not, not giving the information <laughs> when all we do is do teases and then never actually show up with the actual events. So, uh, we're still waiting on the third annual Finzies. Anyway, well, Chris, we got a uh, we got a packed show here since we did miss last week or apparently the last couple of years, um, based <laughs> on what Billy. Billy has said. Uh, we do have an interview with Joe Valerio, former Kansas City Chief, former Ivy League offensive lineman. Uh, this guy was catching touchdown passes as an offensive lineman from Joe freaking Montana, Chris. I'm excited to talk to this guy in here. And also he was on that 94 Chiefs team that lost with Joe Montana and Marcus Allen to Dan Marino. This He was on the team where Joe Montana played his last game. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, all careers end, right? Like, Montana's last game against Marino. And historically, Marino's last game is against the Jaguars and Jay Fiedler as a backup. So, like, they both have these stories to tell. And uh, but in all serious, I can't wait to talk to this guy. I mean, talk about history, Sam, where you and I, I think probably the majority of our listener base – really fell in love with NFL football was in the nineties, those teams there. And uh, I'm sure he's got some stories to tell. I can't wait to talk to him. Uh, it's going to be excited. We're going to talk about Joe Valeria. We're going to talk about the chiefs. The chiefs are coming to town, probably the best team on the planet coming to Miami and testing the Miami dolphins to see if in fact we are of playoff material. Uh, but we have to talk about what happened here, Chris. Uh, we did not record last week, but we beat the jets. We beat, so we beat them in a way that wasn't necessarily quote unquote convincing, uh, I disagree with that, but we're not going to spend so much time on that. We are going to spend a little bit of time on the Bengals game here, Chris, because we beat the Bengals, but it was not pretty, at least not to start. But when you look at the game as a total and you look at the stats at the end of this game, first and foremost, the biggest stat, the Miami Dolphins won the game. Uh, second, second of all, 
the Miami Dolphins are now eight and four going into December. The last time the Miami Dolphins were eight and four was 2003, Chris. It's been 17 years, almost two decades since the Miami Dolphins were good enough to be eight and freaking four. So let's all just keep this in perspective right now. Um, you know, one of the things that I keep hearing, Chris, is that this is year two of the rebuild for the Miami Dolphins. This is year one, ladies and gentlemen. This is not year two. Last year was not a rebuilding year. Last year was a teardown. That was that was a demo year. We got everything off, all the bad wood, all the rotted wood, threw it into the dumpster. This is year one of the rebuild, and we're eight and four. We haven't thrown an interception since week six against the Jets. Okay, we're going into week 14. We've had two months of interception-free football, which I probably shouldn't say, Chris, because yeah, now all of a sudden knock on wood, throw. please. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> four. But the point of this is Tua had 296 yards passing in this game against the Bengals. So basically a 300-yard game. Um, our running game with, with uh, Miles Gaskin back, he had over 90 yards rushing on the ground. He had an average of over four yards per carry. We only allowed one score to the Cincinnati Bengals, and that was basically off of busted coverage because Eric Rowe was out of the game at that point with a possible concussion. If he's in on that play – this is a shutout. The Bengals don't win a game, don't score a, a point in this game. And the Miami Dolphins essentially scored another 20 points here. We win 19 to 7. Yet people wanted to bench Tua. People are saying this team is overrated. People are saying we're not ready for prime time. What am I missing, Chris? Help me out. You're not missing anything. These fans are, I, and I thought this on Sunday reading Twitter. You guys, I love you. I love that you listen to our show. I love that you participate on Twitter with us. And I love that you're Dolphins fans. But some of you need to shut the fuck up. Like seriously, like, I mean, it is just fucking insufferable, the negativity around it. And, you know, I'm going to call out my own brother on Sunday. Um, he just is every throw to a made, whether it was a completion or an incompletion, it was a negative, um, something negative was set. And it's just like, can we just sit back and think about where we are and think about where we were two years ago and a year ago and think about all the changes that have been made and the young guys we have in our roster and just fucking enjoy this a little bit. Can we enjoy this a little bit? All right. Like everybody got too excited when Burrow and Herbert came out and they're like throwing around 350 yards and three touchdowns and fucking losing by the way um, to with these guys with talent, with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams on their team and Austin Eckler and uh, AJ green and, and um, T Higgins and uh, Giovanni Bernard are, are on the Bengals, all these, this talent. And then here we go Tua kind of comes in and we got Parker, we got Gasecki. Oh, we lose Preston Williams. We have zero running backs. Literally they called me and asked if I could play running back this week um, in the shape I'm in. They're like, seriously, Chris, please like anybody. Um, so that's how bad that is. Three rookie offense alignment. And we're like, Oh, Hey, Tua didn't throw it for 400 yards. Let's fucking bench him and try somebody else. I'm so sick of this fan base waiting for Dan Marino and wanting Dan Marino and no one else is good enough. Newsflash, Dan Marino, pitcher right here, he has zero rings. The ultimate thing is a championship, and that just is proof that you need more than just an elite-level quarterback. We need a team around the guy. He came out second half, uh, up-tempo. We went no huddle. He's making quick reads, accurate throws, making things happen in a pocket while uh, getting out uh, of the way of the pass rush. I'm, I'm neither uh, a Tua Stan or a negative guy. I love Tannehill, so it's not like I'm like marrying the next guy. Let's just fucking enjoy this. We're eight and four, like you said, Sam. Christmas is weeks away. Let you know, very quick few weeks away, and we're in the hunt in this thing. Not even in the hunt right now. We're the second wild card team. Are you kidding me? Um, so 
why are we bitching? Why are we nitpicking? Why are we not just enjoying this? We came out, won a game that we normally lose in these circumstances, right? Like you're playing a backup, you're playing down to uh, the level of the team that you're going against. Nope, not us, not with the playoffs on the line. And here we go with a big test with the Chiefs coming in. Shut the fuck up, fan base, and enjoy this shit. If you have nothing nice to say or fun to say, keep it quiet. Keep it quiet. And, you know, look, Tua is a rookie. I think we all have to keep this in perspective. He's a rookie who is coming off of a devastating injury. He he has not been asked to do what Justin Herbert has been asked to do. He has not been asked to do what Joe Burrow was doing before. Oh, by the way, Joe Burrow's out, by the way. He's injured. He's gone. He's throwing it 50 times a game and giving 50 opportunities a game for a defense to hit him. You guys got to understand we're doing the smart thing here, and we're still winning, and we're still not throwing interceptions. Sam, you mentioned it. It's been months. What the hell are we complaining about? Do you know what team this is that we're rooting for? Get excited. Exactly. Look, uh, look, the team is not perfect. The, the team needs to score more. They do need to close out some of these drives. They tend to get down into the red zone and they get stifled and we have to have Jason Sanders come out. That is frustrating. I get that. I understand that. But I'm telling you right now, last year, we're not even getting into the red zone. We're not, we're not even getting the opportunity <laughs> to kick field goals at that point. We're, we're lucky if we could end on a punt as opposed to a fumble or an interception. I did read something, Chris, that I thought was kind of interesting when it comes to Tua. And then uh, we're going to get going because we have Joe Valerio joining us. And then after that, we are going to talk all things Chiefs Dolphins here in 2020 um does Tua need to throw his first interception and the question I'm asking is some people feel that he is being tentative because he's too afraid of making a mistake and that is why he's missing badly in some cases because he is missing some throws badly because he doesn't want to throw it into a tight window and have an interception happen and some people are positing Chris that if he does that if he throws the interception and realizes that he lives to fight another day Um, will that loosen him up and all of a sudden he can start trusting his instincts, trusting his arm and throwing it where and otherwise he might not throw the ball currently. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. (laughs) And here's why. Do you remember the Rams game when he threw it through a guy's hands, like literally threw it through his hands. And then we play the Cardinals and he's against his, the grain. He's running away, lost his ball up and I'm watching it live. And I'm like, who the fuck is he throwing this to? And it drops between three defenders to Mike Gusecki who catches it on a sliding run. He threw a absolute dime to Jakeem Grant, by the way, which you saw him late and went, oh, shit, threw it. The most accurate deep ball I've seen since Marino because, like, you know, Tannehill couldn't throw a deep. It, it was the throws he's making are fine. I, I don't understand. Do you see that Parker throw when he dodged the guy in the pocket last week and he ran to the left and threw it between four diving hands? What are we talking about here that he's not forcing the ball in the tight windows and, and he needs to throw his first interception? How about this? How about he throws none? ever and like we just keep fucking winning games and he throws for 300 yards because if jakeem grant catches that these stat nerds that are sitting here like well he hasn't even passed 300 yards yet are completely wrong because he he's over 350 with grant's catch and then sitting here you know you think about the movie happy gilmore where he sucks at putting he's just like oh yeah hole in one i'm just gonna just hit it in the first try every time and chubbs peterson's like good plan why, why do we want him to like throw bad throws to get that monkey off his back this isn't steve young if he's not throwing interceptions fucking just keep not throwing interceptions that sounds great we're winning ball games that's the most ridiculous thing i've heard if you watch the tape he is not tentative he's throwing it in the tight windows just he's having rookie mistakes and he's not jesus christ and he's maybe missing a couple throws like what are we talking about here i just named three off the top hand and i'm like five beers deep like let's watch the actual 22 tape and he's throwing plenty of throws in in, in contestation like so no absolutely not that's the most ridiculous thing i've ever heard 
Oh my gosh. So uh, a couple of things. We somehow managed to crowbar Steve fucking Young into yet another episode of Perfect Bill. Somebody out there, I wish we had an intern, Chris, that could just tally up all the different Steve Young references we've had over the last five years. I think it's a lot. Uh, number two, that rant was so perfect because you were so lucid and just you were nailing every single point and then right at the end you made up a word which is such a sam and chris thing to do on this perfect film contestation, contestation is not a word i know it wasn't but i didn't want to mess up it's like i blacked out in old school when he's just like doing the debate i'm like this is gonna be so good like i, I i'm gonna nail it and end it on this clip you know it, it sucks but the no but it's the great. best it's the best that might be the <laughs> that might be the teaser clip for this entire episode i'm not sure yet but uh Anyway, look, we beat the Bengals. We beat all the teams we're supposed to beat, with maybe the exception of the Denver Broncos. This team is eight and four. They're the sixth seed in the playoffs. It were to end right now. And oh, by the way, um, the team that they would be playing if the playoffs started today, Chris, the Kansas City Chiefs. So not only, not only are the Miami Dolphins uh, good enough to be in the playoffs, that we're going to get a preview of what it would be like to be against those Kansas City Chiefs if everything remains the same between now and the rest of the season. We're going to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs here in 2020. We're going to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs in 1994, 1993 with our guest right after these words, Mr. Joe Valerio. We're going to go pay some bills and go pee some urine, and then we'll be back right after these words. Get some skin in the game with my bookie where odds boosts, lightning deals, and free bets await all season long. And with Turkey Day right around the corner, there really is no better time to feast on some NFL action. Whether you're a first-time customer or you've been playing with MyBookie for years, there's no shortage of value to be found in the thousands of game lines, unique prop bets, and contests that they offer every week. Sign up or get reloaded today. Find an edge, make your bet, and get paid. They also boast a fully-fledged casino platform, giving you access to all the classic tables, slot, and card games you'd expect to find at your local spot. And the best part is, at MyBookie, the doors never close, so you can continue to build your bankroll even after the stadium lights have gone out. Make the right play and sign up today at MyBookie. And when you do, use the promo code FINSUP to get your deposit matched halfway, all the way up to a thousand bucks. You put in 200, they'll match you another 100 in your account. If you're already planning to bet this season, this is free betting money. It's winning season at my bookie, so come join in on the fun and win some cash while you're at it. Jingle balls to the walls, fellas. The holiday season has come once more, so return those pubes to the times of yore. Get yourself the gift of shaving this holiday season with the Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0. You've skipped the tricks, now avoid the nicks. With the Lawnmower 3.0's proprietary advanced skin safe technology, this trimmer cuts on your nuts. Not to mention it's waterproof power so you can shave in the shower. Also included in the perfect package is the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer, the Crop Reviver for quick spritz refreshing, a pair of Manscaped high-performance anti-chafing boxers, and a t-shirt. Go to manscaped.com and use the promo code FINSUP to save an instant 20% and get free shipping. Tis the season to trim the trees and feel the breeze between your knees. Manscaped, your balls will thank you. Joining us now is former Kansas City Chiefs player. This man has caught touchdown passes from legends like Joe Montana. And of course, when you think of Joe Montana throwing touchdown passes, of course, you think of an offensive lineman 
for the Kansas City Chiefs, Mr. <laughs> Joe Valerio, joining us now, host of the Believe in Chiefs podcast, former player and uh, chief. I don't know. What, what do you call the alumni for the Chiefs there, Joe? Do you guys the, have a name? The, the formal name for the Chiefs uh, alumni are the Chiefs Ambassadors. So they're, they're actually a formal group in Kansas City. I actually live in the Philadelphia area, so I don't get back as frequently as I'd like. But, yeah, the Chiefs Ambassadors are, are a great group and one of the most vibrant in the NFL for sure. Yeah, I've, I've heard forever that uh, the place that you have to go tailgate when you can tailgate is to go to Arrowhead Stadium and just hang out with the Chiefs fan. They're, they're number one or number two on my bucket list to get done for sure. Yeah, you should definitely make a point of it, Sam. Uh, it's fantastic uh, place to see, to see a game. It's a fantastic place to tailgate. It was they tailgated so hard there that Coach Schottenheimer used to tell us to come late to the stadium because there'd be no traffic if you came late because everybody was there like four hours before kickoff. So that was that's how crazy it used to get in the parking lot. We actually players got there later than the fans. See, that's a true coach and mentor right there. Not only is he doing the X's and O's, not only is he game planning, but he's letting you know how to beat traffic patterns in Kansas City <laughs> on game day. That's a that's a true mentor right there. Yeah, Coach Marty Schottenheimer was the complete coach for sure. So is that is that the guy? Uh, I mean, you 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 were obviously surrounded in your playing days with some veterans. I mean, I think Joe Montana was in his late 30s by the time he joined mm -hmm. uh, the Chiefs. You were coming up out of Penn, uh, probably in your early to mid-20s, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and but you got people like Joe Montana. You have Marcus Allen on that team. You have uh, Marty Schottenheimer. I mean, you you had just a slew of veteran coaches and players to help mentor you and everyone else around you. Correct? Yeah, Sam. Coach Schottenheimer brought a you know big staff with him from Cleveland. Right? He brought most of his his staff uh, from the Browns, and they were all very seasoned veteran coaches. And at the time when I got to Kansas City, even before Joe and Marcus got there. You know, it was already a veteran group, especially on my, in my group on the O-line. Uh, we had guys like Rich Baldinger, Mike Webster, right, was there at the tail end, um, Dave Lutz, John Alt. Uh, you know, we had – and then they brought in this younger crew, right, Dave Zott, Tim Grunhard. I came in a year after those guys. So they were mixing the old with the young at that point. And I'm telling you, it was a great environment to come into and, and learn the game of football, especially coming from the Ivy League where, you know, six months earlier I'm blocking Biff McNutty from Harvard. <laughs> And then, you know, I'm going against Howie Long. Like, I needed that mentorship. I needed some of those veteran guys who played at the big schools to help pull me along. Yeah, you know, I'm going to talk about the Ivy League football players. We're talking a little bit off the air here. And uh, I'm fascinated by Ivy Leaguers that, that go into the NFL because – by the very nature that you went to an Ivy League school, you guys are smarter than the rest of us. And then uh, I don't you, you know about that. Well, I mean, I, 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 I mean, you're catching passes from Joe Montana in, in the end zone here. You're making the playoffs against the Miami Dolphins back in 94. Uh, you got all kinds of smart things on your resume there. But I, I, I we had a quarterback for the Miami Dolphins named Jay Fiedler. And uh, we have a quarterback for the Miami Dolphins right now, Ryan Fitzpatrick, both yeah. Ivy League quarterbacks and both uh, have various degrees of success and maybe some 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 drawbacks. Right. I mean, you don't typically think of Ivy League uh, athletes. You, you think of Ivy League, you know, curing cancer and stuff like that, <laughs> but uh, or coming up with common core math, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad yeah. thing yet parent of young children but uh is there a bond I know you guys went to different schools than the ones I just talked about but like that it seems like that Ivy League every time I ever see somebody uh talk about where they went to school when they're a professional football player and it turns out to be an Ivy League school uh almost as much as like the SEC guys go it almost seems like Ivy League it's like you guys have a like eye contact secret code did you I mean did you guys have a special bond with all other Ivy Leaguers that made it into the NFL we did. And we continue to this day. I mean, back then when I came out in 1991, there weren't that many, um, you know, there was 
a handful around the league. And that, we actually had one in Kansas City, which was Nick Lowry, right? Uh, kicker. kicker um, yeah. You know, but we there really weren't that many. So I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to pat myself on the back and call myself a trailblazer, but I think there was a group of us that kind of in during those late 80s, early 90s, you know, kind of like weaved our way in or wedged our way into to the NFL you know, just based on the fact that, you know, you can go to any school and, and make it in the NFL. If, if you think, you know, if you work hard at it and, and you, you know, you, you try to, to do all the right things. The problem with the Ivy League transition is the level of competition that you play against every day. You know, I was used to playing against some guys who were really fast, but they were undersized. I play against a guy who was really strong but he may be a little bit less agile than a Neil Smith or a Derek Thomas, or, you know, think of those names back from the nineties, right. That I had to compete against every day, the Howie longs, you know, I might've played against a guy who was really strong and, you know, great bench presser, but like he didn't have the feet that somebody who played at Nebraska or Oklahoma or Notre Dame had. So I never played against that total package. And that was what took me a couple of years to really, you know, get used to playing. I think on the offensive line, it was a little bit more of a struggle. I think at quarterback, some of the skill positions, if you have those specific talents, it's, it's a position where you don't have to really mature into like you do when you're playing up front, you know, and with Fitzmagic, you know, I always say you can, you can always tell a Harvard man, you, you just can't tell him much. And that's what we used to say at Penn. But, but, you know, I, I really do, we do have a, a group, you know, there's a hashtag called one Ivy, you know, we, we, we do stick together every year. They have a big Ivy league association dinner in New York. Well, we didn't this year, obviously because of COVID, but we will get back to that someday soon. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a tight community. I think when you see an Ivy league player who does it in the NFL and they're making their way, uh, another Florida player, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Justin, Justin Watson's a good friend of mine, went to Penn, uh, Greg Van Roten for the Panthers is a, uh, making a lot of impact. Brandon Copeland just made the Forbes 30 under 30, uh, you know, list. He was uh, with the pace with the Patriots had a nice run with the jets. So we've got some guys out, um, you know, uh, our Kevin Stavansky, the head coach of the Browns is a Penn grad Penn coach, you know, worked his way through and, and, and made it to the NFL. So we really do take pride in it. Long, long answer to a pretty short question, Sam, we do take a lot of pride in it, but that's our Ivy league guys, right? We like to talk. We like to we like to like to get the words out there. Hey no, Joe, how different how different is a locker room your rookie year from Penn to <laughs> Kansas City with SEC oh. guys, uh, with with ACC guys, with undrafted guys from the, you know you know all these different colleges and places? Uh, maybe didn't even like actually go to school. Uh, oh, geez, night, you know, Bobby Bobby <laughs> Bowden, you know, <laughs> you know, in the Florida State, they're going there and they're you know, how different is that uh, atmosphere culture? Oh, you know, it's it was it was first of all, I was in awe of a lot of these players, right? I, I would, I watched them on television. I saw them in the big games, the bowl games, the names, you know, Alabama, Notre Dame, Stanford, Michigan, right? And so once you get past the awe part, one of the things that we always had to overcome, you know, especially playing at Penn is everybody would ask me, always ask me, how was it playing for Joe Paterno? And I'd have to say, no, I didn't go to Penn State. <laughs> I went to the University of Pennsylvania. I'll never forget Neil Smith and I had a bet when in 1994, uh, Penn had an incredibly good basketball team. Two NBA players, Matt Maloney played with the Suns. Jerome Allen had a great run um, in the NBA, ended up becoming a coach uh, in the Ivy League. So, you know, Penn is playing Nebraska in the opening round of the NCAA tournament. And I knew this team was capable of beating anybody except maybe the top, you know, 10. And if they played well. So they were, they were an 11 seed. Nebraska was a five seed. Neil Smith says, hey, Joe, 
our, our schools are playing Nebraska. We're playing you guys this weekend. You want to put a bet on? I said, let's do it. Neil, 50 bucks. You're on. So we put 50 bucks on the game, come back in on Monday for our workout sessions, uh, you know, uh, in March, you know, for off season stuff. And he goes, Joe, here's your 50 bucks. He goes, I got to ask you one thing. What the heck is a Quaker? So I was like, <laughs> I was like, Neil, what do you mean? He goes, I, I thought you went to Penn state. He goes, I thought you were Nittany lion. I was like, well, so that's like just one small anecdote, short anecdote about, you know, some of the uphill battle that you have to fight when you, you know, when you go to a school that people don't really know the name of. Well, you talked about uh, Neil Smith. Neil Smith for me as a kid growing up was uh, iconic for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, he always had the, uh, he always had the, the, the band. First, first, first guy to, to do the, the band-aid. Yeah, the, he had the, the band-aid over his strip. nose. Yeah, the nasal strip, but I, for him, it, it actually looked like a Band-Aid at the time. Well, they, were, they, were, they were Band-Aids, and they would decorate them, and I think it became more showmanship, Sam, than it did actually being able to help him breathe, like a, uh, what do they call them, breathe right strips or whatever? Right. Like when guys I, wear eye black in the dome? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? Or linemen are wearing eye black, like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, and the other thing, like you said, showmanship, he's the first guy that I can recall that actually had a sack celebration as well. So he would, he yeah. would, you know, terrify these quarterbacks and he'd get up. And, and, and it was actually a golf swing. So if you go back and watch the celebrations, it actually looks like a baseball swing, like he's hitting a home run. Uh, but I read an article, I don't know, not too long ago that he, he was actually a golf swing, which is a terrible golf swing, but I'm not going to tell him that. <laughs> yeah. We always, we always thought it was an homage to, to George Brett, like being a local Kansas city hero, but that's what we always thought. But you know, then you find out it's a golf swing. And you're like, Neil, I don't know if I'd ever play golf <laughs> with you, or I definitely wouldn't pick you on him as, as a scramble partner for sure. Ended up being you, an homage to Charles Barkley. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah no, no kidding, huh? Um, but, you know, speaking of, uh, I actually wanted to ask this question, too, because along those same lines, a little bit of a trailblazer. Uh, I, I want to read these stats, and I mean this. This is incredible to me. Um, I, I looked this up when I knew you were coming on the show. You had four receptions. I mean, you're an offensive lineman. You're not You're not sure. paid to, to catch passes here. You had four receptions in your career in the NFL for seven yards. So, you know. Maybe not a lot of yak, not a lot of yard. Yeah, after yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank, thank goodness. Didn't have to run. <laughs> but you didn't have to run because those four receptions, you had four touchdowns. I mean, talk about an effective, efficient pass catcher at that point. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, you see it a lot now. You see defensive linemen line up as a fullback. I mean, I guess Refrigerator Perry did that back in the day for the Bears. But you, you see a lot of offensive linemen. They do it a lot in the, with the Patriots. I think that actually, I think the, the Chiefs do it now. But I don't recall people doing that back in the early nineties. Were you one of the first offensive linemen that was becoming like a tackle eligible catching balls from oh, none other than greats like Joe Montana? I always like to think that I was Chris Carter before Chris Carter, right? Oh, I only scored that down. Uh, you know, and I only had what 193 to go to catch Jerry Rice. I mean, I play another 40, 50 years, you know, I probably catch Jerry Rice. Um, but no, in all seriousness, it was a blast. It was, it was a dream come true. I lived every lineman's dream. Um, I mean, it, it was something that was sort of taking off at that point. I mean, when, when, um, we were in practice one day and, and Joe Montana was trying to basically to keep the story short, was trying to, to make me look foolish. And we had this one play where I would go into the end zone on goal line. Cause I was always the tank tight end that would come in because we you know when you move to the west coast offense you don't have a lot of big tight ends right so we you need some bulk to come in on the goal line you know or or short yardage third and short or down on the goal line or whatever 
And so I would come in as the tank tight end. But we had this one silly play where I would go out in the middle of the end zone and I would be a screen basically and have two guys cross behind me, right? One day we're at practice and Joe Montana's pumping the ball and he's looking at me because he was so much fun to be around. I mean, this guy was amazing, right? Here's a guy that had done it all, four Super Bowl rings, three-time MVP, on and on. I could hours I could talk about his accolades and here he is pumping the ball looking at me and I'm like whoa whoa JJ's open over there uh Keith <laughs> no 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 and he fires this thing at me and I stuck my hands up basically in self-defense Sam and Chris and and I caught the damn thing and and Paul Hackett our offense coordinator comes running over he goes oh my god you're gonna score a touchdown this year and I say wow this west coast offense really opens things up if <laughs> Guys like me are scored. So he says, no, you remember Guy McIntyre? I said, of course, everybody knows Guy McIntyre, right, from, from the Niners. He goes, you remember we ran that play? And I'm like, yeah, but I never thought. He goes, Joe, we're doing it. And then it just kind of like became a rolling ball of razor blades. And we just kept trying it and putting it in different situations. And, and Joe, you know, the thing about Joe Montana is – he never made me feel like I was not a tight end or a wide receiver. And I was a wide, wide receiver. Um, <laughs> but like he, he basically made me feel confident. He got in the huddle, called the play like I was Jerry Rice. And that just gave me the confidence. Like, all right, I don't have to really think about this because if he would have been like, Hey Joe, you, you got this. You're right. Right. Okay. Who, you know, then you start to worry like, Whoa, don't you have the, but Joe Montana, what a leader. He has confidence in every guy that was around him and, he made it happen and, and made me feel good about it. So I actually, towards the end of my career, I actually did start to play more and more tight end. Um, and until I was injured, that was probably what I was going to do. I was going to switch my number and, and actually become a tight end for the, for the last part of my career. But I got hurt and things went downhill from there. Uh, well, I was going to ask you this too. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll share this story actually. So you mentioned Joe Montana and him being a leader. Um, you know, you and I were talking a little bit about the harrowing experience that he had recently where he actually thwarted a kidnapper who was um, looking to steal one of his, you know, I always say steal, but kidnap his, yeah. I think, granddaughter or something like that. Crazy, and isn't it? It's crazy. And the dude's just out there, you know, solving the world's problems. And, and you know, it had it had me thinking, you know, I'm a, I grew up a Miami Dolphins fan, but I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, still live here to this day. And uh, I grew up around Joe Montana in the 80s. That's all you could hear is Joe Montana. And if there was time for Jerry Rice and John Taylor, then so be it. Maybe Roger Craig and, and Roddy Lott would get a, you know, a buy headline there. But it was Joe Montana, Joe Montana, Joe Montana. So much so that I became a hater of Joe Montana. I couldn't stand it because I'm like, why aren't we talking about Dan Marino? You know, we're right. talking about Dan Marino. And uh, my mom, my mom grew up a big Niners fan. And Joe Montana was doing some sort of appearance or signing at some car dealership or something along those lines. And she's like, come on, we're going to go, we're going to go meet Joe Montana. I'm like, I don't want to meet Joe Montana. I was probably like six. And uh, <laughs> she goes, you're going to go meet Joe Montana because someday it's going to be a good story that you're going to be able to tell your children. I'm like, all right, fine, whatever. I don't really have a choice. I mean, I'm, I'm getting dragged along. Yeah, right. So I show up there and there's this big long line and there's all these people. And it was like my first time seeing hero worship of a sports player. And it was just like, wow, all these people really love Joe Montana. Yeah. And we get up to the front there and my mom being very nice, very gracious. She allows me to go up there by myself. And uh, <laughs> Joe goes, Hey, you know, who's your favorite football player? And I looked him dead in the eye and I go, Dan Marino. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and I looked over at my mom and I, I've never seen my mom angrier in, in her life than that the moment I said Dan Marino, right? But this is how cool Joe is, to your point. Joe leans into me and goes, he's my favorite player, too. And, oh. like, he wasn't offended by it. He just rolled with it. It was like, ah, some stupid yeah. kid. 
cares, right? Oh, but, you know, man. he's just so genuine and nice. And it was like, at that point, it was like, well, now I kind of like Joe Montana because we have the same favorite football player kind of thing. So genuine. Yeah. I mean, they had that commercial they did together, yeah. right? I mean, I'll, I'll just pile on top of your story, Sam, about how genuine he was. My dad was a professional boxer in South Philadelphia and had a had a good run as a professional back in the late 40s and early 50s. And, and uh, you know, he, he's, his workout partner was Joe Giardello, who was the middleweight champ of the world. And um, when Rocky Marciano came into town to fight Jersey Joe Walcott, my dad had a chance to work with Joe, with Rocky Marciano because, you know, Rocky Marciano was only 185, 190 pound heavyweight. So my dad was a middleweight, 165 pounds, and they wanted a fast, speedy guy to get in and spar with Rocky Marciano because he came to Philadelphia, set up camp at my dad's gym, Olympia gym. And my dad got to work out with him for several weeks. And I'll never forget Joe meeting my dad and, 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 and my dad met uh, Joe in the locker room, Joe's first year there. And, and my dad, I said, Hey dad, come meet Joe. And my dad was a typical South Philly Italian storyteller. And he's going into this whole thing. He's like, Hey Joe, nice to meet you. You know, good Italian kid, you know, playing quarterback. And, and he's like, Oh, nice to meet you. And call, of course he calls my dad, Mr. Valerio. Right. He says, and he says, but I got to tell you, my dad says, I got to tell you something, Joe, you're not my favorite Italian athlete. And, and Joe, and Joe in just with utter graciousness. Now my dad was abs obviously kidding with them, but he goes, you're not my, he goes, Back in 1950s, I got the spar with Rocky Marciano. My dad's going into like storytelling mode and he's got Joe Montana captivated, right? And finally, Joe says, you know what, Mr. V? Calls, this is a guy, calls my dad Mr. V, right? This is the greatest quarterback at the time in, in the NFL. And he goes, I got to tell you something. He goes, I'd rather hang out with Rocky Marciano than a schlub like me. <laughs> and just he just, had, he just he just had that thing. Like he just had it like that, you know, that you, you couldn't not like him regardless of whether you were a Niners fan, a Chiefs fan, just a football fan you know he was just one of those guys that he made he made the nfl better not just the teams he was on and many in many respects he made the uh you know the 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 if you want to call it the current nfl i mean he he was one of those marketable stars in the 80s that yeah. you know took a team to a dynasty along with bill walsh and everybody else i mean that was those were fantastic teams but you know it, it's awesome that you got a chance to play with him uh you were on the team where montana and marino uh, faced off in the AFC playoffs, correct? Were, were 1994. Yeah. It was Joe's last game. And, yeah. uh, you know, it was a rough loss down there that we had in Miami, especially after we came off that great run in 93, going to the AFC championship game. And, you know, it was just tough for us to recreate some of that magic. The Dolphins are really good squad. And, uh, you know, we went down there to old Joe Robbie stadium and, you know, we struggled a little bit, um, you know, and, and Dan did his thing. And uh, that was like watching those two, not that, you know, not that quarterbacks get out there and fight against each other, right? Everybody says, oh, it's the Montana Marino matchup. Like they don't really play against each other. Right. You know, I yeah. always love that when quarterbacks, it's a quarterback matchup, but just watching those two legends out there, you know, I was always a huge Dan Marino fan growing up and, you know, having him, him going, being from Pittsburgh and I'm from Philly. And then, he, you know, because of course my dad is always commenting on the Italians that are playing in the NFL, right? Like, um, he was always a big Dan fan. So yeah, that was a, that was a huge thrill, Sam. I, I really enjoyed that being part of that game would have been nice to come out of there with a win for Joe's, you know, but it's got to end sometime. And, and that was a, it was a good, uh, good matchup for sure. Yeah. And you're talking about that was a playoff game. Chiefs dolphins. We're now in week 14 of the current 2020 season. And if the playoffs were to start today, Joe, uh, the first round matchup would actually be the chiefs and the <laughs> dolphins. Uh, as it currently stands. So we've got a little bit of a playoff preview, a little bit of reminiscing back to the 94 season, but here we are two, I would say <laughs> minimum two good teams. Uh, the chiefs are on another planet. Obviously the defending uh, champions uh, have the best player on the planet in Patrick Mahomes. 
uh, all kinds of talent around him. Uh, walk me through this team here. Uh, where is the weak spot and how can we exploit it as Miami Dolphins? <laughs> yeah, well, no, I'm going to give a lot of credit to the Dolphins and what they've done, right? They're seven and one over the last, you know, uh, you know, uh, over the last, you know, obviously since, since they had that te- little bit of a rough start, right? So they, they've won seven games, um, you know, and, and I, I think, I think where they're, where the Chiefs can be exposed, obviously is it's, it's gotta be their defense, right? It's, it's really hard to stop their offense once it gets going. Um, I think the thing that defenses struggle with, with Patrick Mahomes is even when you get pressure on him, he just he has a sixth sense about finding that open spot, right? Whether it's sidestepping or rolling out or going dropping back further because he trusts his arm strength so much. He's you know, it's not like a Tom Brady stand back there, pump the ball, get pressure in his face. Like that's how the Eagles beat, you know, the Patriots in that Super Bowl several years right. ago. And 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 that's how you beat those kind of quarterbacks, right? It's how you beat the inexperienced quarterbacks, right? You pressure them, you make them make bad decisions. And for some reason, as young as he is. Patrick just doesn't make those mistakes. So offensively, they're tough to they're, they're tough to expose because they they stretch the field horizontally and vertically with their speed. They've got Travis Kelsey. You know, if you're looking doing a basketball analogy, he's an unbelievable post player, right? You post him up and he just sets the whole stage for the whole defense, and he can catch. So you know, now they've got this running game thing going with Clyde Edwards-Helaire and, and Le'Veon. So I don't need to tell you or your fans about about their offense. Their defense is is where you know you gotta you gotta puncture them, right? You gotta you gotta attack the corners. You gotta if you can run the ball, you know you gotta run the ball against them and see how far that can take you, so they can open up some play action or some RPO stuff. And you know that's really where I think defenses uh, uh, or offenses have to expose. And then you have to keep pace with their offense at the same time. If if you can do that, you can hang in there like the Raiders did and like the Broncos did, right? I mean, teams are hanging with the Chiefs because of a little bit of their a little bit of their weakness on on defense. Well, um, and so. Joe, sorry, I didn't mean to jump in there. No, uh, no, please. Uh, they actually came out, and if you watch the Dolphins Bengals game last week, we started off the first half very, very slow. It just was uh, a bad, bad start against a bad team, and then they came out in the second half and went up tempo and went no huddle. Um, but the problem is with that against the Chiefs, a little bit different against Brandon Allen and these guys in the Bengals, is uh, that means you're letting Pat get back on the field pretty quick if we're scoring quick. So tell me a little bit, especially as an offense, how you got to manage sometimes with those guys like Peyton Manning with Aaron Rodgers. The best way to stop them is to keep them with the hat on on the sideline. Um, so like is, is up tempo important because we get somebody like Tua, who's a rookie, an opportunity to just kind of first read, get rid of it and be quick. Uh, but you also have to juggle that strat- uh, strategy of, uh, not letting Pat Mahomes get on the field too quickly. Chris, I, I think that's fantastic analysis. And you obviously have done your homework on watching a, an offense like this, this chief's offense. And you're, you're absolutely right. Your best defense is a good offense. And I think it comes down to ground, you know, the ground game, controlling the clock and just giving them less options, you know, giving them less, um, uh, less opportunities, I should say, uh, giving them fewer opportunities to get out on the field because, you know, the Chiefs don't score in every possession, but they score in a lot of them. And, you know, last week, obviously against the Broncos, it was a lot of field goals. They just, they were having a little bit of trouble when the field got short, mm. which I think teams are starting to, they're starting to learn how to defend all that speed as the field gets short because you can't stretch it every direction, right? When you're on the, when you're, when you're beyond, somebody's 30 yard line, right? So when you're 30 yards and from the 30 yard line in on your own, you know, your own territory, think about how big the field is. 
the shorter the field gets, it's been, it's been harder and harder for this Chiefs team to really expand everything and get people open, even with all that speed they have. Because the lack of space negates a lot of the speed. That's why you see Travis Kelsey so, you know, he's so impressive down in the red zone. So I think you're absolutely right. I think they have to get a good combination of attacking the Chiefs defense, but without giving the ball up too soon or too fast to let Patrick have too many opportunities. Cause you give him too many, he's going to capitalize and he's going to get his momentum going. And it does take this offense a little bit of time to get going. If you watch them over time, the trends are, you know, they're more of a late second quarter, third quarter, early fourth quarter team. So, you know, they have a little bit of start, trouble at the beginning. So the longer you can delay that warm, we'll call it the warm up period of this offense, I think you have a better shot of hanging with them the way that the Raiders have and the Broncos have and, and other teams that have beaten them or taken them to the wire. And just, you know, and, and, and of course you, you see teams that have a Derrick Henry or if you can just mash them and really keep them off the field, then, then you really are, you're into something if you have that going for you. You know, that'd be great if we had that option, but I don't even know if the Miami Dolphins have physical no. running backs anymore. Yeah. I mean, everybody's injured or out, and even the ones that we had were getting like two yeah. five yards per carry. So this game really is strength on strength, and if you want to call it the, the Chiefs' defense a weakness, weakness on weakness. Mm-hmm. Our offense is not where our defense is. Our defense is pretty damn good in terms of uh, – yeah points against but you're going up against a juggernaut there and and you're you're kind of unique to be able to answer this question I think because you played with Joe Montana uh you, you played against Dan Marino the John Elways the Jim Kellys or the you know that era of quarterback you've seen people like Tom Brady um is Patrick Mahomes what is, I guess the uh, uh, it's not a fair question to say is he the greatest ever at this point because it's too young in his career sure. but what is his ceiling I'll, I'll ask it that way could does he does he get up there is he does he have the potential to be the greatest to ever play this game I think he does, Sam. And I'm not just being a homer because I do the, you know, the Chiefs podcast uh, with Believe in Sports and everything. I, I, it's not, I'm just not being a homer. But but I, I really do think he his only ceiling is probably injury, right, at yeah. this point. I think if he – obviously, knock on wood, if he can stay healthy, I, th- I think that there is no ceiling for him. And I think, and I think the reason why – and, and, and look, you, you named some unbelievable quarterbacks, right? And, and where you saw the, um, the transition from the Kellys, the Elways, the Marinos, and the Montanas. Montana was the beginning, I think, of the Patrick Mahomes. They, they, they actually, if you go back and watch some films of Joe Montana early in his career in San Francisco, granted, he's not, you know, he's not as big and as strong as Patrick and, and maybe not as physical, but he had some of those gifted feet. Uh, the footwork that he could do and get in and out of the pocket and find those open gaps, even when there was a big rush. And I think Aaron Rodgers was, a, was the next iteration of that, you know, and you've seen some quarterbacks who've had that Brady always reminds me of more of the Marino Elway, you know, kind of uh, sort of type of quarterback, Jim Kelly, stand back there, big dude, big pad, sit back, take the hit if it comes, you know, and, 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 and be physical with it. So I think what Patrick has is, is, and a lot of people don't realize this, I think at least, he is a quarterback who can do all of those things with the running. He's not, he's not like a gifted athlete that they threw in at quarterback because he can throw a little bit. To me, Patrick Mahomes is a dropback, pure quarterback who happens to have some extra skills that other quarterbacks don't have. 
And and I think if you look at it a little bit that way, it might it might flip the lens as you, as you go out and watch him. Like if somebody hears that comment and watches him this week, you'll say, yeah, he's like a quarterback. I mean, I guess Lamar Jackson's probably one of the people that I would think of that's the reverse. He's a gifted, tremendously gifted athlete who is fleet of foot, you know, could have been, could be a running back in the NFL. Come on. I mean, the guy absolutely could be a running back in the NFL in any system, but he's plays quarterback because he, he has some of those skills to, to make him be able to see the field and throw the ball where I think Patrick is almost the inverse of that. I don't know if that makes sense, Sam and Chris, but that, but that's how I see Patrick. And that's why I think he doesn't have a real glass ceiling because he's really a quarterback. And so it's going to, he's going to keep building those skills as he goes on. And he's not going to, you know, he's not going to be one of those guys that runs out of juice because he ran the ball 30 times in a game or something like that. I mean, that's, that's my take on it. Well, I think yeah. to, to your point, Joe, uh, kind of, if I can uh, aid you there at the end there, like in Madden, you can take uh, uh, the bar uh, and lower their rating. And if you did like speed on Lamar Jackson, I think what you're saying is an agility. He's not starting in the NFL as a pocket passer. You know, those, those things there are what also add to his throwing ability to make him great. And I think what's exciting for Dolphins fans to flip it back to our side mm-hmm. is I see Tua more on that side too, a Russell Wilson type, a Pat Mahomes yeah. type. That's yeah. a quarterback that has uh, light on his feet. Last week at the Bengals, perfect example, free rusher comes up the middle at middle linebacker. Tua doesn't even take his eyes off the receiver downfield, just sidesteps one little thing and bumps up into the pocket and makes the throw after rolling to the left. And those are things that are just instinctual that you cannot coach. And that's something with his accuracy and his ability, I think we're excited excited about not saying he's going to be the next Patrick Mahomes at all, but he's that more of that type of quarterback. That's going to help you with his footwork as well as his throwing ability. Chris spot on. I think, I think I love that analogy too, with the Madden when you move the dial. Cause that's exactly you, you summed it up. Uh, you know, it took me 10 minutes to say it and you said it in, 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 in three sentences, but Perfect. Perfect. Chris, I, th- I absolutely, I think that's spot on. And I really like to, I, I, I really like watching him play. I love watching him play in college. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm really enjoying watching what he's doing now with the dolphins. And uh, I think he's got a super bright future. And I think this dolphins team couple, you know, they built some, put some more weapons around him. You know, they get fantastic. You know, I think, I think their defense is, you know, f- from a cornerback perspective, I think mean, Byron Jones and Xavier Howard are really getting it done. Uh, I like Kyle Van Noy. I, I think, you know, linebacker, I mean, you know, they're, 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 I think they got the, the right personnel for their three, four defense. I really like this team. And I, I think they're just a, you know, I think they're a couple of pieces away from, you know, being that next team that you're talking about with, you know, when you think about the Steelers right now and the chiefs, I really do. I I'm, I'm really excited about, about where the dolphins are going. And, and I think they have a super bright future. Yeah. I appreciate you saying that. Cause that, that's how we feel as well. I mean, it, everyone says this is year two of the rebuild and I kind of take umbrage with that. I think it's actually year one of our rebuild last year was the teardown. You know, you can't call it a rebuild when you're tearing everything right. down and throwing in the garbage. This is year one. So the fact that they're at eight and four going into December, you know, basically controlling their own destiny uh, into the playoffs, whether they get there or not, we'll see. But uh, the fact that they're doing that in year one of the rebuild uh, is yeah. exciting because I think they're doing it the right way. I mean, you look at the chief's trajectory from 
from the time they got Patrick Mahomes to now, or at least really last year, because you guys won the Super Bowl last year, you could see it coming together. You could see they got yeah. the talent. They've got the right coach, obviously. Uh, they just got to keep building. They just got to keep building. Maybe get a couple break, lucky breaks. I mean, the Dolphins have had some lucky breaks this year as well. Um, but you could just see all the talent coming together, combine it with good coaching and great leadership. And all of a sudden, boom, fireworks are going off for the Chiefs. And here you guys are uh, enjoying, yeah. you know, a very, very great uh, uh, amount of success and rightfully so. Um, but you mentioned a lot of Miami Dolphins players. This is my last question for you, Joe. Uh, who is it other than maybe Tua, because you'd mentioned and talked about Tua. When you look at this team right now and you go, OK, they're coming to town on Sunday. We're playing them on Sunday. Uh, who's the player, either offense or defense, that you go? The Chiefs better be aware of that guy because if they don't be, or if they're not aware of that guy, it's going to be a problem. Who's the guy that comes to mind when I say that? Well, I don't want to take the easy way out, Sam, Chris, but but what I what I think fans re- really need to watch in this game is I think they need to watch the line. And of course, I'm a lineman. What else am I going to say? Right? <laughs> I, I I think this game, and 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 I think I think the Dolphins have a ton of players that could that can make a make a huge impact in this game. Obviously. I think Emmanuel Agba, right, coming off of having been a chief. I think that's a, that's, chief, a yeah. that's a neat a neat matchup to watch. So I think that's somebody he's gonna he's gonna know a little bit about the system, and and I think he's gonna know a little bit about how to. I'd really focus in on Emmanuel, but I think what they really need to watch is how does this defensive line of the Dolphins handle the Chiefs' offensive line, and I'll tell you why, because if the Chiefs can get their running game going. And, and they, once they get that weapon established, it really does open things up for Eric Bieniemy. And, and I think if, if, the, if the Dolphins' defensive line, you know, with Emmanuel being in there, obviously, as, as, as sort of like an insider, right, knowing what the Chiefs could possibly be doing and, and maybe knowing some of their line calls and things like that, if they can stop the run, it's going to it really going to increase their chances. And you're going, well, why? The Chiefs then will just pass it. But when they don't have that option going and, and you've got, you know, cornerbacks like like you have that can that can really put some lockdown and, and you've got good cover linebackers like you do that can maybe get on Kelsey. Um, I think it, it could it's going to increase the Dolphins chances of winning against that sort of juggernaut offense. So I really, you know, I always say it, but I think at this time it's even more dramatic that this game is going to be one up front on both sides of the ball. If the, if, if the, if the Dolphins defensive line can stifle that running game, limit the options that Patrick has from play action and all those things that he likes to have all those, he likes to have all those uh, tools in his, in his, in his toolbox. If they can do that, I think it's, it's a game where it, they, they definitely increase their percentages of winning uh, the game on the Dolphins side. So I think everybody needs to watch that that matchup up front. And, you know, another thing too, about this Dolphins team, Sam, Chris, they, you know, let's for, don't, don't forget September is the new training camp. So like yeah. the, that beginning of the season for this team, you have to discount it. You know, these last seven, you know, these seven wins they've had since, since, since then have are really telling you what this team is all about. We almost need to like forget about September for most teams because it's become the new training camp, right? Especially in COVID times. So I, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm really bullish on this Miami team, and I think I think they're going to I think they're going to give the Chiefs fits on, on, on this weekend. Hey Joe, last one for me, and this is non-football related, but I got to tell you, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you because you remind me a lot of uh, my grandfather was born in uh, he's from South Philly, and nice. my mom my mom was born in Bucks County, uh, Pennsylvania. Oh wow! Yep. Uh, so uh, he's a huge Eagles fan. He would have been absolute friggin' tickled pink to know I was having you on a podcast and talking to you. Cause he's just all about 
you know, Philly and stories of Philly and just all that kind of stuff. And he loved uh, rubbing it in my face. He's a Phillies fan. I'm a Marlins fan. He's an Eagles fan. I'm a Dolphins fan. So we'd always, you know, go back and forth and man, he could run his mouth and I, I miss him a lot, but he would have been really oh. excited to have you on the show. Well, Chris, that's very nice of you to say. That's that's an honor that you would say that and and represent your dad that way. And uh, yeah, it's a great. You know, I lo- I love this town. My wife and I moved back here when when, when we uh, finished our career in Kansas City, and then my little cup of coffee I had with the Rams. But uh, you know, my wife and I went to high school together. Uh, we, you know, we, we, we knew that we were going to come back to Philadelphia eventually. It's, it's, it's a great, you know, it's a great place. It's, it's, it's Philly, right? It's gritty, right? It's gritty. The Flyers mascot. That's what we're, we're all about. But, but, you know, I'm just a huge, I'm a huge sports fan. I, I, you know, I'm not somebody who, you know, says, oh, you know, they're the enemy and we're going to kill the dolphins. I mean, I love watching all teams develop. I love, I love, you know, the characters that the NFL creates and, you know, the dolphins have such a, a story tradition. I go back to my, you know, my days of watching them as a youth and the killer bees. I mean, yeah. Bob, you know, I was a little bit young. I was like three years old and that 72 season. I know a lot of those guys were smoking cigars and, and tipping, tipping their glasses to uh, that Steelers loss. Um, but uh, you know, I just, I just, you know, Don Shula, you know, uh, you look back at some of the, the history of the Dolphins and it's just, it's a, it's a, I, to me, it's one of the storied franchises, I think in the NFL that, um, you know, while, while they may not have had, you know, Dan Marino never won that Super Bowl, I, I think he's one of the best players to never have. Um, and, and I just have a ton of respect for what they're doing now and what they've always done uh, in Miami with their sports scene. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty exciting what's going on with the Dolphins now. So thanks for saying that, Chris, much appreciated. Absolutely. Yeah, well, you, I, I agree with you. I think they are a storied franchise. The Chiefs happen to be a storied franchise as well. The first AFC, if you want to call it that, representative in the Super Bowl era was the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, and they are the defending Super Bowl champions. So uh, they've bookmarked the NFL so far uh, over the last, what, 45, 46 years. And back the then, they weren't smoking cigars in their 70s. They were literally smoking cigarettes at halftime of the Super Bowl. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Len yeah. Dawson, Len Dawson with a, with a Coca-Cola in one hand and a cigarette in the other. <laughs> They're probably looking going, Hey, when's this game going to get over? I gotta get it back to my day job here. You know, yeah. exactly. Now guys are taking IVs and, you know, taking, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the, yeah. the drinks for babies. What the heck are they called? The, uh, Pedialyte. yeah, yeah. Pedialyte. Thank you. Or electrolytes. And these guys smoking, drinking a Coke. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Tough dudes, man. I'll tell you, I couldn't have played with those guys for sure. Well, I, uh, I appreciate you playing with us here today, Joe. Um, thank you very much. Tell everybody where they can find you once again. You're part of the Believe Podcast Network, right? Believe in Sports? Yep, yep. Believe in Sports Network. Uh, Believe in Chiefs is our podcast. Google that. And, then, you know, we're on all of the, you know, major, you know, uh, media outlets as far as getting the podcast out there. My partner's Jeff Fedoten. He writes for Forbes. Uh, he's a fantastic guy. Lives in Chicago. Grew up in Kansas City. We've been doing this. Uh, with with believe in, in in chiefs and and on the believe network so yeah check us out at joe valerio 73 uh on twitter you know uh get some posts out there every once in a while so yeah just uh it's been a real pleasure sam and chris thank you for having me on and chatting it up a little bit i, I think it's going to be a great game this weekend I'm, I'm excited to watch it uh you know and and, and to see how it you know all plays out and, and you know love to join you guys again anytime talk Miami, talk Chiefs, talk football, talk South Philly boxing, whatever you guys want to talk, be happy to join you. And maybe, maybe we're talking again during the first the week of the first uh, uh, week of playoffs when the when the Miami Dolphins and the Chiefs have a rematch. Well, here's hoping that we don't talk until the AFC Championship game. I hope that's the way go. our bracket's out. Right I like there. your thinking, Sam. 
Yeah, and I'll say this: uh, you just mentioned your 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 co-host there writes for Forbes. You went to an Ivy League school. Um, remind Chris and I to never get into any sort of trivia contest with you. And if you do come back, we're going to talk about anything other than football. Let's just keep economic. <laughs> you're going to kick our ass if we do that. So that's a smart that's a smart tandem right there. Oh my god! Well, we should do a we should do a duo sometime and we'll have both on. It'd be great. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Sounds well, good. Joe, thank you very much. Uh, Chris, anything else for Joe before we let the man get back to his, uh, his normal activities? No, just be careful in that non-social distance stadium you're in. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> right. Great. Great. We can do it. These backgrounds. Yeah. If only, if, if only I were in Kansas city right now, but uh, no, thanks a lot guys. It was, it was an absolute pleasure and uh, really enjoyed it. Have a safe, happy holiday and uh, you know, best to you guys. And thanks again. Yeah, absolutely, man. We appreciate you too, bud. it. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. It was great stories. All right, special thanks to Joe Valerio once again. Uh, the nicest mean guy ever, Chris. He was an offensive lineman. He got paid to hit other big men for a living and just one of the nicest guys we've ever had on this town of Perfect Bill podcast. I told him, he reminded me of my grandfather. And like, seriously, I didn't want to say like my grandfather, but um, seriously, like the guy was, you know, Philly guy, like him telling stories just reminded me of my childhood. It was very nostalgic. I was sitting here at some points, like literally like, like hands down, like just listening to him talk because he reminded me his enunciations, the way he said things. What a great dude. Like I hope we have him on the show and we go on his show again, because man, that was a blast talking to him. It really was. And if, uh, if you guys get a chance, check out his podcast. He's uh, he's very smart. He went to Ivy league. His, his, uh, his co-host for the chiefs are, uh, is, is a guy who writes for Forbes magazine. So much smarter, much more intelligent podcast than you and I have here, Chris. Uh, yeah. I've written for, yeah, I've, I've never written for anything. <laughs> I've written four B's. Like I've written the letter B four times, which is kind of like Forbes in a way. But, uh, you know, we don't make good decisions. And sometimes we make it more difficult on ourselves here, Chris, because we're stupid, like we just talked about. And sometimes the Miami Dolphins uh, mirror us and make stupid decisions as well. They have to go against the Kansas City Chiefs this weekend, which is no easy task whatsoever uh, for all the reasons that we know we'll get into Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, uh, you know, everybody on that team, Travis Kelsey. Um, but we also have to do this, Chris, and we might be down a couple of players because, well, Devontae Parker decided to get into a fist fight against the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, Mac Hollins decided to jump in with him. Oh, and then prior to that, Xavier Howard got himself thrown out of the game as well. Uh, two of our top players, Devontae Parker, Xavier Howard, thrown out of the game against the Bengals. I haven't heard or seen anything yet, Chris, um, but it's very possible that we go into this Kansas City Chiefs game uh, without two of our best players. We might see suspensions for Devontae Parker and or Xavier Howard. Yeah, um, getting into that is pretty interesting. Uh, the Xavier Howard ejection and to be uh, quite honest, the, their player, the Bengals players, I, th- I thought was absolutely bush league. It was absolutely ridiculous. Yep. It's the NFL football. So they're jawing on sidelines, a couple pushes in the face mask. Joe Valero would could completely be like, dude, the guys were literally like, you know, fisting us in the, in the, in the, uh, uh, the piles back then. And the referees are like, get up, you pansies. Like, there's no way they're throwing guys out of the, out of the game for like hitting a couple face masks. That was a, that was ridiculous. I don't think, we're losing Xavier Howard. I, I don't see that as a suspensional uh, offense at all. <clears throat> uh, Devontae Parker, I think looked worse than it was. I think he was kind of like defending somebody through something and like a coach got in the way and the coach flopped his ass off. Like that's what it seemed like to me. Um, the big wigs uh, from NFL network, Joe P- Pelissero and Mike Garofalo and um, a- a- Adam Schefter and them are saying right now that like, doesn't seem like a suspension's on the way, a fine, hefty fine for sure. You never want to see teams leave the bench. But can we talk about how incredible Brian Flores is? 
like, can I just please mention Brian Flores as a former player to see him run on that field, keeping the mask on, by the way, he's not losing money with the Boston college. He's not stupid. He's, he's not going to lose any money like John Gruden and hundreds of thousand dollars in draft picks. Not today. Brian Flores comes out there mask, well-fitted pointing that finger from Brooklyn. And he's like about to whoop somebody's ass and have to get pulled back from his players sam are you kidding me that locker room after that game it's guaranteed it's like one of those denzel washington movies where they're all like dang coach like man i can't believe you balled out like that and Flores like listen it's ridiculous i lost my cool i shouldn't have done it and then he pauses and he's like but that was really fucking cool wasn't it and they go yeah and like go crazy like that was brian flores man i watched him do that and me and my brother were going nuts as a player you freaking live and die for a guy like brian flores that whole fight thing the brotherhood jakeem grant coming and dapping up parker and hollands for getting his back man that was just some baller ass shit and it's cool to see guys coming out in the field and having this commotion and we, we're on like the good side of it like even like non-fans of the Bengals and dolphins are like oh fucking dolphins are in the right there that motherfucker blew grant up twice illegal hits and they came to defend him. and if you play team sports that's what you do. That's exactly what you do. You defend your brother. Yeah, I don't think Adam Gase in the same scenario is walking off the sidelines. He probably doesn't even look up to see what the hell is happening. He'd just be designing the next play that's going to go for a pick six the other way. Uh, no, that I mean, that was really cool to see Brian Flores come out there. I've, I've loved every single meme that came out, people putting wrestling music behind him as he's walking down, all that fun shit. Uh, the best thing I saw on Twitter was from Tabor Pepper, former long snapper Tabor Pepper. He's now with the 49ers, who said he wasn't going to get into – uh, his time with the Miami Dolphins, but he will say this. Brian Flores will always pop the trunk for any of his players. And I'd never heard that phrase before. I'm not sure I know exactly what it means, but it sounds cool as hell. And uh, I agree with Tabor Pepper. Coach Flores is not going to let shit happen with his players. He can kick his own players' ass. He doesn't need the other team to go and kick their ass for them. And I think that's what happened at halftime, Chris, because when you look at that game, we did not look great in the first half. They came out in the second half. They made all kinds of adjustments, which this team is not known for, right? They're not known for making second-half adjustments. They usually come out, punch the team in the mouth, and then coast to the finish line. They did the exact opposite in that game against the Bengals. That fight is going to galvanize this team further. But in the short term, if we do see any suspensions come down for Devontae Parker, that's just going to make this game against these Kansas City Chiefs, the defending reigning Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs, who are what, 10-1, and 11-1, whatever they are right now, um, that much more difficult. How do you see this one playing out, Chris? How do we beat those Kansas City Chiefs? Joe Valerio told us a little bit about that during the interview of what we need to do. But what he's telling us we need to do, which is to have a good running game, we don't have that. So what's our next option, Chris? How do we beat the Kansas City Chiefs? Well, I guess we just chalk this one up and hope we can come back and get the Patriots because that's if that's what it takes, the running game, yikes. Um, so you asked me two questions. You said, how do I see this playing out and how do we beat them? So I'll start with the second question because that's a little bit more fun. We beat them by getting pressure on Patrick Mahomes. If I, you, you ever watch Kansas City Chiefs games, he's normally just in the backfield for what seems like an ungodly amount of time, letting these unbelievable literal cheetahs at wide receiver get time to get open in space on their second and third read. And he's hitting them deep for touchdowns and they're scoring in a second. Uh, I mentioned it with the interview with Joe and I said that we need to keep Pat Mahomes off the field. We have to have a long sustaining drives, or at least we need to go punch per, for punch with them. This is going to be one of those games where either Chank Gailey comes up with this great offensive game plan and all the national media pundits are talking about is it is that, Oh my God, like I can't believe the dolphins came out and they controlled the clock for X amount of time and they're really efficient or it's going to be more or less like the Arizona game where we're in a, like a shootout uh, where I feel like we don't win that. 
<laughs> like, like, I mean, completely honest, like we win that Arizona game in a shootout. Kyler Murray's good, but he's not Patrick Mahomes and their tight end might be good. Don't even know his name. He's not Travis Kelsey and they don't have Terry kill and they don't have Sammy Watkins and they don't have Hardman. They don't have these guys. I mean, like they don't have Le'Veon Bell is if Le'Veon Bell is the seventh guy I mentioned on your offense, you might be stacked. I don't know how they can even afford to pay all of these guys. Meanwhile, Meanwhile, honey badgers on the defensive side of the ball with uh, all these different guys. It's just unbelievable the amount of talent that the Kansas City Chiefs have on their roster. I think this game is going to be made up of we need to get pass rush on Pat Mahomes. If we don't, it's over. Um, We have to sack him. We have to make him uncomfortable. And we have to read his second and third options. And hopefully, uh, you know, Brent Jones and, and Xavier Howard are, are earning their money this game and covering these guys. But, man, it's going to take everybody. Like Brian Flores said, can I have 14 guys on defense? Because this is going to be tough to do. And I just don't know if we had the offense to match them punch for punch. I do see us probably losing a closer-than-we-think game, but uh, one where I don't think the Chiefs are sweating too much throughout. No, I look, this is like a perfect scenario for the Kansas City Chiefs because the Miami Dolphins defense is really, really good. Uh, but the Kansas City Chiefs offense is great. Phenomenal. And I think that's really going to be the difference. And their defense is underrated. I know Joe said that's where you have to attack them is their weakness is on defense. But that defense for the Chiefs is actually quite underrated, in my opinion. It just gets overshadowed by the fact that that offense is really, really good. And as you said, if Le'Veon Bell is the seventh guy that you mentioned when you talk about offensive weapons, you're either – stacked in the offensive side or you're an Adam Gase offense that's it that's that's those are the two scenarios if Le'Veon Bell is number seven on that list but uh yeah I don't know how we're going to win this game my daughter predicted that we're going to win 55 to 50 so she sees this thing going the way of the shootout I don't know (laughs) if it's going to be quite that large of a game but uh I do think it will be a little bit closer maybe not even in the score Chris I mean I could see us losing by two scores in this game but I do think when you look at the game, like the eyeball test, you go, we weren't that far off. We just missed a tackle or we just, you know, we, we got to Patrick Mahomes. Emmanuel Agua got his arms around him, but he slipped out and ended up throwing a bomb to Tyreek Hill or something along those lines. I think it's going to be a game of inches that ultimately is going to be miles apart. We're going to see the difference between a good team that's up and coming and a great team that's at its peak right here. Um, I have this. I have us losing this game, Chris. I don't think it's going to be. Uh, quite the shootout. I don't think it's going to be a blowout, uh, but I could see this game starting to get a little bit away from us, especially if we lose somebody like a Devontae Parker. I don't think we will, but in case we do, that just puts our offense even more behind the eight ball. Uh, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with 31 21. I, I think it's a 10 point spread here. Uh, they're going to get to the thirties, which is a high offensive output for the Kansas city chiefs. We're going to get into, you know, the early, the, the, the mid twenties here, or, or I guess early twenties here, low twenties, Jesus Christ. I didn't go to an Ivy league school like Joe did. Um, but I see us losing this game 31 21. I think they just have too much firepower. Uh, we're just not at the level of the Kansas city chiefs this weekend. I hope the Miami dolphins prove me wrong. It's funny. I was going to change my, I was shaking my head. Only you see this because uh, you only see the person talking and you probably saw me in a thumbnail shaking my head because I, I was thinking, man, should I change my answer? Because like my score, no, I'm going to go with the score I had coming into this. And unfortunately, and of course we've been doing this a long time, Sam, my score was 30 to 20. So uh, <laughs> I, I picked them winning 30, 20. Again, they're going to have you know some touchdowns. I, I think one thing that we have going for us that will be, uh, the turning point possibly that we can take advantage of is special teams. If we can get a, a blocked punt, if we can return a kick for a touchdown, if we can return a punt for a touchdown, you know, this team's going to be coming out uh, feeling disrespected. I hope, you know, the Bengals came out and they just tried to fucking sucker punch your ass 
and you had to go out there and fight. It's the same thing now, game wise. They're saying all the right things in the in the interviews. Pat Mahomes is just like, hey guys, they're, they're really good players. And um, you know, you know, Andy Reid's like, I sent them barbecue. Thanks for the game last year against the Patriots, and they're being super nice, very patriotic the way they're doing that against us, by the way. And um, but I can see the team, the players in the locker room. No one's giving us a chance. We're complete underdogs. We're at home, by the way, and we have three really tough must win games after this when we're being counted out against the chiefs where we're playing at, we're playing a home against the Patriots uh, at Vegas at bills. So it's like, if you don't win this or at least keep it close with some momentum for those three games, that might be all she wrote. Uh, we need to come out hot. We need to come out firing. We need to take advantage of having a good amount of fans, decent amount of fans um, on our side. And I think Sam absolutely we have to start hot, but it's going to take some special teams help and a ball bouncing one way or another for us to pull this off 30, 20, I think I, I see the chiefs winning. And I, again, I hope I'm wrong. Uh, Chris has this as a low scoring affair at 30, 20. I have it as a blowout uh, shootout 31, 21. <laughs> it's funny how those scores, they're the same spread and only a point apart difference, but it one sounds like a low scoring affair and one sounds like, Oh, that's going to be a fun, exciting fireworks type of game. I think you're right. I think in order for the Miami dolphins to win this, uh, you're going to have to have Jakeem Grant do his best Tyreek Hill impression. Uh, everyone yep. keeps saying the poor man, Shaquem, uh, Tyreek Hill, then he's going to go after, out there and have to prove it. I think this is those type. This is the type of game where Jakeem Grant does step up, uh, literally step up onto some sort of uh, stepping stool and jump <laughs> up and catch the ball that he dropped like last week that landed in his hands. You didn't talk but, shit about him. That's That's your fault. I'm blaming you. Well, we haven't had a show in years because Billy, uh, by the way, shout out to Casey Brock, who responded to Billy's tweet with, hi, my name is first name, bunch of numbers, which is hilarious. Um, <laughs> Billy 559. Hey, normally blah, blah. those are like Russian bots. Like what is, is Bill? <laughs> we have Russian bots listening to Perfect Bill. This is crazy. I'll take any listeners we can. I don't know if you know this, Chris, but I think we're huge in like Peru or something. I got some email that said that like in South America, we're like in the top 50 sports <laughs> podcasts ever. I'm like, they only have 50 sports podcasts. That's the only explanation. Anyway. Um, yeah, I think we're going to lose this game, but I think if we are going to win this game, I think you hit it on the head. It's got to be a special teams or, you know, Emmanuel Ogba comes back and gets revenge and somehow does a strip sack and we pick it up and scoop and score. It's going to have to be a team efforts, but special teams, defense, and a little bit of offense sprinkled in there. If, if we are to be successful against these juggernaut Kansas City, you know, what? I'm not even mad. I'm not even mad that the Kansas City Chiefs are this good. They're, they're just, they're a fun team to watch and yep. we don't really have anything at stake. We helped them win the Super Bowl last year. Joe was even telling us uh, that off air. He's like, man, I didn't even mention what Ryan Fitzpatrick did for the Kansas City Chiefs last year. He essentially gave the Miami Dolphins and Ryan Fitzpatrick credit for the Kansas City Chiefs being able to win the Super Bowl last year, Chris. And we're happy to take that credit. So I don't hate the Chiefs. I, I kind of want them to come in here, do their business, and get the fuck out so we don't have to see them again until maybe the playoffs. But, uh, yeah, I don't I don't see us winning this game. Sorry. Sorry, citizens. There's, there's just so much firepower. It's unbelievable. Like, you, you talk about how, like, excited we were about, like, the receivers on our team. We're like, hey, Parker and Preston Williams, am I right? And they're like, what? <laughs> like, we have Sammy Watkins, Tariq Hill, Hardman, and you're like, who's Hardman? And then you look at the stats, you're like, Jesus Christ. And it's like, oh, uh, by the way, Le'Veon Bell and um, Hilaire. And then, oh, uh, God, what's his name again? Oh, yeah, Travis Kelsey, the greatest fucking tight end I've ever seen uh, as well. And then, oh, who's throwing the ball? Pat Mahomes. You're like, again, how do you afford to pay all these guys? I don't know how they do it, but um, 
guys, we're in for a, a treat. I mean, like, honestly, this is like when, like, back in the day, like, Notre Dame came to town and you're like, oh, they have all these number one picks and shit. Like, the fucking Chiefs are coming. They won the Super Bowl. They, they have literally lost one game all season. And it was against a division rival. And they acted like they won the fucking Super Bowl. They literally drove around the stadium, like, excited. That's how big of a deal it is to beat this team. So for anybody that's going to be like, Sam and Chris, here we go again. They're like, not picking this. Come on, guys. Like, we're eating four. We're excited. It's time to be but the chiefs are a whole nother monster. If we can just keep it close, have a competitive game and use that as momentum and, and, and confidence building for the last three games, close out the season. I think that's what Flores needs to aim for. Uh, I just love the fact that we started this entire podcast uh, with Chris, Butt telling everybody, you know, <laughs> calm down. We're eight and four. You don't need to hit the panic button. And then we're ending the show. With, oh, we're absolutely getting stopped by the chiefs. So I've told everybody to shut the fuck up. And then I'm like, we suck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can well, see that. We don't suck. Yeah, that's right. Only Chris Chris Butt can say that. Um, Chris, this has been a long episode. I know you uh, you've got things to do. I've got things to do. Anything else you'd like to say before we get out of here? Uh, no, that's it. Well, on behalf of Chris, the two-time, yes, two-time Hall of Famer, myself, and everyone at the Fanatics Network, goodbye from Perfect Play. Later. Congratulations to the 1972 Miami Dolphins, still the only town, the only team in the town of Perfectville. Once you know it, Chris, the team that actually continues to allow the Miami Dolphins to be the only perfect season is the Washington football team. The team that we beat in the Super Bowl of that year to be the only perfect team. Congratulations to Larry Zonka, Don Shula, Miami Dolphins. And thank you very much to the Washington football team, formerly known as the Washington Redskins. We can say their name this week, Chris, because they did us a good, good, solid favor. Well, and it's actually funny that it's against a team that everybody calls the team of the 70s, the Steelers, when they discount the team that went to three straight Super Bowls, one, two, and was perfect uh, during that same decade. So it's actually phenomenally ironic that it's against the Steelers uh, that lose um, to literally a quarterback with one leg. And um, they lose handedly to, well, not handedly, but to the Washington football team. And the Dolphins are perfect again because, Sam, I did not want to change names of the podcast. No, I didn't want to have to welcome the Steelers in, you know, like Steelers fans into co-hosting this podcast at all. I agree with you. The other thing, somebody else found this, and I thought thought it was just terribly coincidental. Um, The Washington football team, the team that has literally no name, uh, help secure the perfect season for the no-name defense uh, team of the 1972 yeah, Miami like Dolphins. That. So a lot of parallels there. Thank you very much, Dan Snyder and company. Uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, fuck you. Ha ha. You don't, you don't, you don't win. And that's it. Fuck you. Fuck you, Juju Smith-Schuster, unless you come play with us. You're going to play with us next year, then it won't be fuck you, Juju Smith-Schuster. Fuck you, Minka Fitzpatrick. You, that's right, Minka Fitzpatrick. Fuck you, Minka, with a stupid girl named Minka. Mika Bitch Mitt Mac. Mika bitch Mika Bitch Patrick. Fuck you, TJ Watt. We got Charles Harris instead. <laughs> Bad Roethlisberger. What'd you do? Win three Super Bowls? Pfft, lame. Dumb. Fat. Dumbass. Our, our quarterback isn't fat and tall. Why don't you go crash a motorcycle again, nerd? <laughs> Marquis Bouncy. 
Yeah, you're the better of the penalties, but fuck you, man. <laughs> I, I, I'm, like, I'm like Googling Pittsburgh Steelers names right now. I get Chase Claypool, your name sounds dumb. I don't know. I don't know anything else about the Steelers. Bud Dupree, you sound like an Owen Wilson movie. Remember you, me, and Debris? <laughs> Took me to say the, the processing power on this outdated computer model was uh, trying to figure it out. Yes, you, me, Debris. Well done. <laughs> well done. I love how you like, right. you're like, the fuck's that even mean? I'm like, clearly, Debris in a movie. <laughs> why would I think? Why would I uh, uh, other else say that? Again, this was a mistake. Words. This yeah, was a mistake. Less than a minute. I was like, here we are three I was like less than a minute, and then shit. here we are. It's fucking Friday, and we're still, you know. <laughs> my that's right. hit my dog. Poor Thor. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> I missed the camera. <laughs> oh, I missed yeah. Joe Valero. <laughs> I'm dying. I'm dead. You're going to get a new co-host next week because I'm dead now. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.